The Fourth Mansions, Chapter 1 of the Interior Castles by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording, read by Chris McGregor. The Interior Castle or the Mansions by St. Teresa of Avila, translated by the Benedictines of Stanburg. Now that I commence writing about the Fourth Mansions, it is requisite, as I said, to commend myself to the Holy Ghost, and to beg him henceforth to speak for me, that I may be enabled to treat these matters intelligibly. Henceforth they begin to be supernatural, and it will be most difficult to speak clearly about them, unless His Majesty undertakes it for me, as he did when I explained the subject, as far as I understood it, somewhat, about fourteen years ago. I believe I now possess more light about the favors God grants some souls but that is different from being able to elucidate them. May His Majesty enable me to do so if it would be useful, but not otherwise. As these mansions are near the king's dwelling, they are very beautiful, and so subtle are the things seen and heard in them that, as those tell us who have tried to do so, the mind cannot give a lucid idea of them to those inexperienced in the matter. People will have enjoyed these favors, especially if it was to any great extent, will easily comprehend me. Apparently, a person must have dwelt for a long time in the former mansions before entering these, although in ordinary cases the soul must have been in the last one spoken of. Yet, as you must often have heard, there is no fixed rule. For God gives when, how, and to whom he wills. The goods are his own, and his choices wrongs no one. The poisonous reptiles rarely come into these rooms, and if they enter, do more good than harm. I think it is far better for them to get in and make war on the soul in this state of prayer. Were it not tempted, the devil might sometimes deceive it by divine consolations, thus injuring it far more. Besides, the soul would benefit less, because all occasions of gaining merit would be withdrawn were it left continually absorbed in God. I am not confident that this absorption is genuine when it always remains in the same state, nor does it appear to me possible for the Holy Ghost to dwell constantly within us, to the same extent, during our earthly exile. I will now describe, as I promised, the difference between sweetness in prayer and spiritual consolations. It appears to me that what we acquire for ourselves in meditation and petitions to our Lord may be termed sweetness and devotion. It is natural, although ultimately aided by the grace of God. I must be understood to imply this in all I say, for we can do nothing without him. This sweetness arises principally from the good work we perform and appears to result from our labors. We may have felt happy at having thus spent our time. We shall find, on consideration, that many temporal matters give us the same pleasure, such as unexpectedly coming into a large fortune, suddenly meeting with a dearly loved friend, or succeeding in any important or influential affair which makes a sensation in the world. Again, it would have been felt by one who had been told her husband, brother, or son was dead, and who saw him return to her alive. I have seen people weep from such happiness, as I have done myself. I consider both these joys and those we feel in religious matters to be natural ones, 
although there is nothing wrong about the former yet those produced by devotion spring from a more noble source in short they begin in ourselves and end in god spiritual consolations on the contrary arise from god and our nature feels them and rejoices as keenly in them and indeed far more keenly than in the others i described o oh, jesus how i wish i could elucidate this point it seems to me that i can perfectly distinguish the difference between the two joys yet i have not the skill to make myself understood may god give it to me i remember a verse we say at prime at the end of the final psalm the words are cum delastasti cormeum when thou didst dilate my heart to those with much experience this suffices to show the difference between sweetness in prayer and spiritual consolations other people will require more explanation the sensible devotion i mentioned does not dilate the heart but generally appears to narrow it slightly although joyful at seeing herself work for god yet such a person sheds tears of sorrow which seem partly produced by the passions i know little about the passions of the soul or i could write of them more clearly and could better define what comes from the sensitive disposition and what is natural having passed through the state myself but i am very stupid knowledge and learning are a great advantage to everyone my own experience of this delight and sweetness in meditation was that when i began to weep over the passion i could not stop until i had a severe headache the same thing occurred when i grieved over my sins this was a great grace from our lord i do not intend to inquire now which of these states of error is the better but i wish i knew how to explain the difference between the two in that of which i speak the tears and good desires are often partly caused by the natural disposition but although this may be the case yet as i said these feelings terminate in god sensible devotion is very desirable if the soul is humble enough to understand that it is not more holy on account of these sentiments which cannot always with certainty be ascribed to charity and even then are still the gift of god these feelings of devotion are most common with souls in the first three mansions who are nearly always using their understanding and reason in making meditations this is good for them for they have not been given grace for more they should however try occasionally to elicit some acts such as praising god rejoicing in his goodness and that he is what he is let them desire that he may be honored and glorified they must do this as best they can for it greatly inflames the will let them be very careful when god gives them sentiments not to set them aside in order to finish their accustomed meditation but having spoken fully on this subject elsewhere i will say no more now i only wish to warn you that to make rapid progress to reach the mansions we wish to enter it is not so essential to think much as to love much therefore you must practice whatever most excites you to this perhaps we do not know what love is nor does this greatly surprise me love does not consist in great sweetness of devotion but in a fervent determination to strive to please god in all things in avoiding as far as possible all that would offend him and in praying for the increase of the glory and honor of his son and for the growth of the catholic church 
These are the signs of love. Do not imagine that it consists in never thinking of anything but God, and that if your thoughts wander a little, all is lost. I myself have sometimes been troubled by this turmoil of thoughts. I learned by experience, but little more than four years ago, that our thoughts, or it is clear to call it our imagination, are not the same thing as the understanding. I questioned a theologian on the subject. He told me it was the fact which consoled me not a little. As the understanding is one of the powers of the soul, it puzzled me to see it so sluggish at times, while, as a rule, the imagination takes flight at once, so that God alone can control it by so uniting us to himself that we seem, in a manner, detached from our bodies. It puzzled me to see that, while to all appearance the powers of the soul were occupied with God and recollected in him, the imagination was wandering elsewhere. Do thou, O Lord, take into account all that we suffer in this way through our ignorance. We err in thinking that we need only know that we must keep our thoughts fixed on thee. We do not understand that we should consult those better instructed than ourselves, nor are we aware that there is anything for us to learn. We pass through terrible trials on account of not understanding our own nature and take what is not merely harmless, but good, for a grave fault. This causes the sufferings felt by many people, particularly the unlearned, who practice prayer. They complain of interior trials, becoming melancholy, lose their health, and even give up prayer altogether for want of recognizing that we have within ourselves, as it were, an interior world. We cannot stop the revolution of the heavens as they rush with velocity upon their course, neither can we control our imagination. When this wanders, we at once imagine that all the powers of the soul follow it. We think everything is lost and that the time spent in God's presence is wasted. Meanwhile, the soul is perhaps entirely united to him in the innermost mansions, while the imagination is in the precincts of the castle struggling with a thousand wild and venomous creatures and gaining merit by its warfare. Therefore, we need not let ourselves be disturbed, nor give up prayer, as the devil is striving to persuade us. As a rule, all our anxieties and troubles come from misunderstanding our own nature. Whilst writing this, I am thinking of the loud sound in my head, which I mentioned in the introduction, which has made it almost impossible to obey the command given me to write this. It sounds as if there were a number of rushing waterfalls within my brain, while in other parts, drowned by the sound of the waters, are the voices of birds singing and whistling. This tumult is not in my ears, but in the upper part of my head, where, they say, is placed the superior part of the soul. I have long thought that this must be so, because... Flight of the spirit seems to take place from this part with great velocity. Please, God, I may recollect to explain the cause when writing of the latter mansions, this not being the proper place for it. It may be that God has sent this suffering in my head to help me to understand the matter, for all this tumult in my brain does not interfere with my prayer, nor was my speaking to you. But the great calm and love desires in my soul remain undisturbed and my mind is clear. How, then, 
can the superior part of the soul remain undisturbed if it resides in the upper part of the brain? I cannot account for it, but I am sure that I am speaking the truth. This noise disturbs my prayer when unaccompanied with ecstasy, but when it is ecstatic, I do not feel any pain, however great. I should suffer keenly were I forced to cease praying on account of these infirmities. We should not be distressed by reason of our thoughts, nor allow ourselves to be worried by them. If they come from the devil, he will let us alone if we take no notice of them. And if they are, as often happens, one of the many frailties entailed by Adam's sin, let us be patient and suffer them for the love of God. Likewise, since we must eat and sleep without being able to avoid it, much to our grief, let us acknowledge that we are human and long to be where no one may despise us. Sometimes I recall these words spoken by the spouse in the canticle. Truly, never in our lives have we better reason to say them. For I think no earthly scorn or suffering can try us so severely as these struggles within our souls. All uneasiness or conflict can be borne while we have peace in ourselves, as I said. But if, while seeking for rest amidst the thousand trials of the world, knowing that God has prepared this rest for us, the obstacle is found in ourselves. The trial must needs prove painful and almost insufferable. Take us, therefore, O Lord, to where these miseries can no longer cause us to be despised, for sometimes it seems as if they mocked our souls. Even in this life, God delivers us from them when we reach the last mansion, as by his grace I will show you. Everybody is not so violently distressed and assaulted by these weaknesses as I have been for many years on account of my wickedness, so that it seems as if I strove to take vengeance on myself. Since I suffer so much in this way, perhaps you may do the same, so I shall continue to explain the subject to you in different ways in order to find some means of making it clear. The thing is inevitable. Therefore, do not let it disturb or grieve you, but let the mill clack on while we grind our wheat. That is, let us continue to work with our will and intellect. These troubles annoy us more or less according to the state of our health or in different circumstances. The poor soul suffers, although not now to blame, it has sinned at other times and must be patient. We are so ignorant that what we have read and been told has not sufficed to teach us to disregard wandering thoughts. Therefore, I shall not be wasting time in instructing and consoling you about these trials. However, this will help you but little until God chooses to enlighten you and additional measures are needed. His Majesty wishes us to learn by ordinary means to understand ourselves and to recognize the share taken in these troubles by our wandering imagination, our nature, and the devil's temptations, instead of laying all the blame on our souls. <laughs>